the kingdom of God has arrived in the world, in the earth realm. Jesus began his public ministry with the words, repent, put the past behind you because something new has come. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. The invasion of the kingdom of God all those years ago, some 2,000 years ago, reminds me of what happened at a decisive turning point in the Second World War, D-Day. In um, 2014, we celebrated a big anniversary of that, but originally on Tuesday, the 6th of June, 1944, D-Day arrived. This was the day in which the Allied armies invaded the occupied territory, landing on the beaches of Normandy and began to fight their way, evicting the enemy until that final battle in Berlin. Just a year or so to go before the end of the war, but it was a costly time, very risky full of fighting. So the kingdom of God has come, but we have not yet fully occupied in the name of the kingdom of God, all that remains to be occupied. And so we are functioning in enemy-occupied territory. Welcome to planet Earth. And we are God's ambassadors and kingdom representatives. But the kingdom will advance and increase and finally overthrow all the forces of the enemy and Jesus will return and usher in the fullness of his kingdom. And we are part of that process. I guess God could metaphorically click his fingers and immediately the new would have fully arrived. God does not choose to do it that way. He operates through you and me, and as we shall see, chiefly by our raising our voice and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in private. He says, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, then I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Very quickly say it's a spiritual sword. 
Verse 35, I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That last verse is really the key verse of this series I've been teaching on becoming radical followers of Jesus. And it shows that the priority relationship that surpasses all relationships, even family relationships, if it ever came to it, that your family is calling you and pulling you away from Jesus, you must say no to them. Jesus comes first in my life. And if it's that priority, even in family life, how much more is it in every other area of life? So the kingdom has come and it is coming and we have a role to play and Jesus is looking for radical disciples, those who are thoroughgoing in their following of him, taking the principles of the kingdom and applying them systematically and thoroughly, yeah, perhaps gradually and progressively as we mature as sons of God, but that's our mandate in order that we might better and more fully represent him, the king and the kingdom. And we shall see how chief amongst that is this whole notion of being a radical voice in the midst of a hostile environment. A quick recap on the series. I began with radical love. It all begins by experiencing the love of God, that we might be rooted and grounded in love. And that means many things, but for most of us, it'll mean learning to be healed on the inside by the unconditional, irreversible decision of God to love us. A wounded heart is a closed heart. Now, there are many things that you can do after you have been healed, but there is very little you can do until you have been healed. So in all our emphasis on inner healing, it's not excessive nasal gazing. It is about asking God to bring us into the reality of the love of God, that that becomes the foundation of everything, our identity, our hopes, our dreams, our purpose and our ministry rooted and grounded in the love of God. Then I spoke about radical relationship because love is an invitation to enter into a relationship and to build on that foundation such a glorious radical relationship that we are totally sold out to Jesus. We are besotted with him. We are enamored of him. We are fascinated by him. We are hungry for him. More, more, more Jesus if you please, Mr. Holy Spirit. Now that will yield also, not just a satisfying life in which all is all desirable, but also a commitment to a radical obedience. The very heart of discipleship is walking in obedience. 
Recognizing Jesus as Lord, not just saying, Lord, Lord, and doing your own thing, but saying, Lord, what would you have me do today? Maybe, maybe we should change the way we pray. First thing in the morning, not, oh, Lord, what can you do for me today? To Lord, what can I do for you today? Radical obedience. And final message on radical voice. Jesus taught his disciples in secret. There's a lot of reasons for that. They were in preparation. They were being discipled into leadership. Also, there was a program that Jesus was following. The proclamation of the gospel publicly had to wait until Jesus crucified, resurrected, and the Spirit of God came. But in, in the meantime, Jesus is the great proclaimer and he's beginning to help them come into that role as well. A lot of time Jesus taught them in secrecy. But he said, now secrecy is over. Now you have to come out for me. There is no more secret that you are a Christian. You've got to come out and be who you are, and proclaim him. Now, you know, there is wisdom. I will give you a lot of qualifiers because we tell people, you got to speak up and speak out. And when you hear them, you say, oh, my dear father, I wish they'd shut up because they're doing it unwisely. But there is wisdom here. But I, I, I want to release you into this thought that you must name, claim, proclaim, and confess the name that you claim and proclaim before witnesses hear so they may know that Jesus is alive, he's living in you, and, and all the more as you demonstrate the reality of your faith by what you do, as Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Radical voice. Have you heard any radical voices recently? In our society, there are many of them. I've, I've chosen three voices picking up on what I mentioned earlier about the Second World War, because during the Second World War, Britain was under the blitz and, the, and London was being blitzed. I could take you to places in West London where there was a bomb and now there's a garden. It was a terrifying time. The enemy was at the door. And throughout the Second World War, there were three voices that were intended to influence the British People And these voices were radio voices, radio newspapers, but radio was the main uh, media medium of, of publication in, at that time. Three voices, one you'd expect me to go to straight away, the voice of Winston Churchill. His rousing speeches given over the radio preserved British morale and kept us together as a nation against overwhelming odds. 13th of May, 1940, the House of Commons. The previous Prime Minister Chamberlain had resigned. Churchill, now 65 years of age. Hmm, I wonder why I mentioned that. <laughs> He's formed his government. His first, first speech in office was to settle the country's nerves. In its wartime. I would say to the House, as I said to those who've joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. You notice I didn't try to mimic his voice, as, as some have. 
Uh, that was in May, then in June the 4th, 1940, gave that very famous speech. You've probably heard about it in history, judging that not many of you were actually living and around at the time. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Something of that British tenacity was echoed and then re-echoed. But there was another voice, also during the wartime. This was not a positive voice, a subversive voice. By the nickname of a man who was nicknamed Lord Haw Haw. Now, the Haw Haw was because he put on this fake upper-class English accent. And, uh, so he was a man called William Joyce, an American who... Uh, fled to Germany, took citizenship in Germany and broadcast Nazi propaganda to Britain from Germany. It would just come, come out on the radio. The normal program would go off and his voice would come out in the war and it would start like this, Germany calling, Germany calling, and then start to bring subversive propaganda to destroy the morale of the British people. I'm talking about us being a voice, but you know, there are voices that are coming to us in our society. Not all of them are positive Churchillian stuff. Some of them are Lord Haw Haw, subverting our faith and our confidence. Well, the third voice that I want to mention is the voice of C.S. Lewis, also heard on the radio. During the time of the war, the Concern in the BBC and the religious broadcasting department, the head of that was a, 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 a Christian and the nation was judged to be Christian nation and they said, we're public broadcasting, let's broadcast some Christianity, encourage people in their faith and, and maybe it will help with morale as well. Now, the director of uh, religious broadcasting, Reverend J.W. Welsh, had read C.S. Lewis's book on the problem of pain. And he said, the quality of thinking and the depth of conviction which I find in your book ought surely to be shared with a great many other people. I'm just waiting for the BBC to give me a ring saying, your sort of the spirit books are so encouraging, we must broadcast them. <laughs> well, I'm no C.S. Lewis, of course. And uh, C.S. Lewis began a series of broadcasts throughout the war giving basic Christianity, which he which later was put into a book called Mere Christianity. Not only did that voice bring comfort and faith and courage to believers right across the nation, but since that time in its subsequent publications, it has become one of the leading publications of Christian teaching to encourage people in their faith and has brought countless thousands to Christ. When one man raised his voice, so we are called to raise our voice and to proclaim him. And we are called to do this in a hostile environment. Now, that's why Jesus spends so much time saying, don't be afraid, even if they kill you. They can't kill you. Don't be afraid about that. Don't be afraid if you're mocked or ridiculed. Don't be afraid of that. And what is one of the major reasons why people do not raise up their voice to preach Christ, proclaim Christ, and to speak up for him? What is the main reason? Fear embarrassment. I might be ridiculed. I might get it wrong. They might say, rubbish, rubbish. 
But the point is, Jesus says, don't be afraid of that. I'm with you. I count the hairs on your head. Some of you give me more difficulty than others in that job, but I count the hairs of your head and you're more valuable than anything. I will look after you, protect you, but don't ever stop proclaiming me. Let me encourage you today. Who is trying to silence you? And there's more than one way of speaking. So it's not just using the same tone of voice that I'm using now, standing in the office and say, yay, ho, yay, 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 saith the Lord. I am baptized in the Holy Spirit and I speaketh unto thee with my tongues. No, no, no. Wisdom and communication. If we want the voice to be heard and understood, wisdom, communication. It's very, very important. There's so many training programs and we do it, we model it with you. But my point is not that. My point is simply that we do it. And I want to stir you up today to do it because I believe we're not doing it enough. There are many chilling effects out there where we feel that we don't have the right to speak. We're going to be opposed and lose our job. But the law is still on our side. We have the right to be Christians in public and to declare the name of Jesus in public so long as we do it, just before we clap, so long as we do it with respect and with grace. Now let's give Jesus applause. I know I took, I took that away. My warning today is use this freedom or we will lose it very quickly. So don't let them silence you. Speak up for Jesus. Don't worry if not everybody welcomes it. In fact, I find sometimes the people most hostile to what you are saying are those who are on the verge of coming to Jesus Christ anyway. So don't worry about that. We're proclaiming him. It's not about us. It's all about him. So how do we do this? We do it, I'm going to talk about three main ways, but we, we do it, that's what I've already been saying really, by preaching, by proclaiming. It's important to get people to the point where you are giving them the gospel message or explaining it to them. Uh, when we go out on the streets, it's a little easier. It's all about proclamation. There's somebody preaching, the Bible says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus said, I am the way, hey, hey, the truth. Because the PA system always goes like that. And I am the life. And people are going around. Now that's appropriate in a way. And, and for some people, that's cringe factor number 10. But actually, it's still the most fruitful form of evangelism we do. Why? Because the people who aren't interested mock and walk on. But the people who have a conversation with us, 50% of them come to Christ. The problem is they are from all over the place. It's very hard to consolidate them and to ensure that they go on with the Lord. So friendship evangelism is what we love. Uh, and it's more long-term and it's somebody that God gives you a connection with and you are friends First of all, not saying, I'll be your friend if you take this tract. No, you genuinely love people and you connect with people and you build a network of friendships because we are outgoing, friendly people. And we love people, we care for people. The problem is, if we talk about friendship evangelism, soon it can become all friendship and no evangelism. So there must come a place where we say, you know what? 
We've been talking about a lot of things. I've listened to a great deal of what you had to say. That fascinates me. It's interesting. But I believe God's at work in your life. May I share with you what I believe about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross? So don't hold back from that. You must speak it. And, and this is not about discussing or debating or arguing. The gospel is a message to be proclaimed. We don't interfere with the message. It's a message given to us. And somebody says very often, oh, well, you know, who do you think you are? You think you've got the truth? You think, well, I have to believe what you say? I always say, don't believe a word what I say. It's not me, but look at what Jesus says. If you don't like it or you've got problems with it or you want to discuss it, go to him. He's the one who said it. So we are heralds. Heralds, that's the word for proclaiming. A herald is somebody who is, who is given the role of, for public proclamation. We have them. And I think in every one of our boroughs, there is a herald, and they still have the heraldic, you know, uh, regalia, and they have big voice and have a bell, and they start like this, oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. That, that's old English for shut up and listen, I think, but something, something like that. And then they make a proclamation. Now, back in Jesus' day, the heralds had a very important role. They were the ones, certainly in Greek societies, they were the ones who called the local council meeting. And so they were at the council meeting. The council meeting was called ecclesia, which is the same word for church. So when we preach and proclaim the message boldly, without interfering with it, without fear, shame or embarrassment, something happens. When we preach, people believe and the church begins to grow. That's the glorious thing. Now, some in the body of Christ are elevated to more formal positions and technical positions of public proclamation. Not everybody is a Billy Graham, but we're all called to proclaim him verbally, to understand the gospel. Could you recite the gospel now? Don't worry if you can't. It may encourage you to learn from it, teach people in ourselves. We have examples in our living free and on encounters and at week by week in cell meetings. We'll help you present Jesus to your friends and help you bring about the kind of environment in which it's possible to do so. The Filipinos are amazing at this. I'm going to be Filipino, Filipino for a few weeks until. But the Filipinos, so what they do, say, oh, you come to birthday party. And they start listing their dishes and their food. Oh, yes, we come, 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 come to birthday party. And whose birthday is it? Well, it's my birthday. And I want to tell you that this is not my only birthday. I have another birthday. This is my physical birthday, but my spiritual birthday is when I was born again. And they, they testify. It's natural. Do it this way. We had some of this over Easter when Simon was encouraging you to host people and give away the cross and, and, and all of that. So it's, it's doable. But remember the point is it's not just friendship, tea, chocolate cake, or oh, I, I learned a whole list of the food I ate, but uh, the names escaped me. Uh, but never, never mind. It's not just your favorite national dish. It's serving up Jesus. Do it with compassion, conviction, clarity, but don't mess with the message. Deliver it faithfully. Speak through proclamation. Speak also through your life. Who was it that said, 
Go everywhere, preach the gospel, use words only when necessary. Remember that? Actions do speak louder than words. So you speak through how you live. The New Testament encourages us to live lives that adorn the gospel. In other words, make it more and more appealing, not make the message appealing, but present it in such a way that the vessel in which the message is being communicated, through which it's being communicated, is attractive. And what, what makes the gospel attractive? Our lifestyle. Not this negative, judgmental thing. Listen to those that you're speaking to. Hear what they have to say. And in hearing what they have to say, you will pretty quickly discern what the Holy Spirit is doing. And at that point, you have a connection. And that connection will be broken immediately if you are judgmental. Now, of course, the gospel is about the wrath of God being revealed and salvation rescues us from the wrath, but make sure they understand that this is God's attitude. It's not your personal attitude towards them. And anyway, Jesus said, listen, I did not come into the world to condemn it, but that through me, the world may be saved. The day of judgment is coming, but right now it's a day of opportunity, of salvation. And judgmentalism usually is not just sincerely sharing with them that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. We are part of that. We're all come from that background. We are not even sinners saved by grace. We were sinners, but now we're saved and we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You don't have to go around saying, well, I'm just still a worm sinner. No, no. Sin is still affecting us, but we are set free from it. And when they see that, they say, do you know what? I want a bit of that. But if you start talking about, oh, no, no, no. What are you eating? What are you drinking? It's wrong. You know, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with them that do. <laughs> some of the stuff is perhaps a bit of wisdom, but some of it is just nothing more than man-made rules and regulations that are more spiritual than God himself. No, the kingdom of God is not legalistic matters and questions concerning eating and drinking, but it's about righteousness, peace and joy. Let that be seen in your life. And so therefore, when you're coming together in your cell groups, oh God, help me, change me. Oh Lord, oh Lord, I want to be all that. And we come together, God, fill me some more, fill me some more so that we're ready to go out and shine with righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I mean, I love it. Do you love it? Yeah, I think it's great. I'm happy about it. I'm excited about it. I love sharing my faith with people. It's amazing the opportunities God gives. I, I, I don't want to say, look, I'm this great evangelist. I'm not. I can pretend to be an evangelist and preach to thousands, but I get most joy out of just simply sharing what Jesus has done in my life, not with religious words or categories that, that confuse people, but simply in my own words, uh, I've got a load of theology and I've got to try and keep some of that terminology out. Well, of course, you see what I understand. What I understand, what all propitiation, you what? Oh, propitiation, don't you know what that means? I do because I'm a theologian. No, you share how that God's love has 
caused Christ to come and Jesus has offered his life that satisfies a God who loves us and wants to welcome us into the kingdom of God. Amen and amen. amen. So you speak by proclamation. You speak by how you live. And also you speak by how you engage. I'm talking about action. I, I thought about this. I'll throw it out to you, see what, see what you think. I think the term Christian activist is a good one. We have all kinds of activists out there, but we it's trying to connect with this idea that as Christians, we should stand up and be active in our community. Activism, in other words, we penetrate every echelon of society, every giant area of influence on society, medicine, health, and education, and sports, and there we shine for Jesus. The place where we work, your occupation, is the location of your true vocation to lift up your voice for Jesus and also to be good news, not just to talk good news. You know, you have helped us dig three wells in northeastern Brazil, which has suffered severe drought. I think we've even got this written up in our Revival Times this, this month. And that which was barren now is fertile. And they're producing vegetables and they've got able now to give water to the flocks and animals and herds they're even now growing fish, not for a fish tank and not even for eating. In my humble view, the best fish in the world is that which is never eaten because I'm a diver and I don't eat my friends. Fish are my friends. <laughs> but that's no problem with the rest of you. But these fish are turned into fertilizer. And, and you know what? Even before we announce the good news, we've already become good news. These are people and they bring good news in what they do. And of course there's a church there and of course it's full and there'll be another one and another one because we have let our good works pave the way for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not just as a sprat to catch a mackerel or a trap to trap people in. We do it because we love them and engage, be good news in your school. Not just that person's head, oh, you know what, I'm tired of this and that and the other. Stop complaining and be positive, won't you? And do something that people can be grateful for. If you become good news, They'll believe you when you have good news to tell. Go on, give him another one. Give him another one. So many people are change agents. We can think of them. William Wilberforce, Martin Luther King Jr. and all the rest of them, moral and social reformers, Christian activists in community, in society, in schools, in the BBC, in the Royal Palace. Wherever we are, we are called to shine for Jesus, to speak his word, to live it out so people, we become living letters of his word and to engage in such a way that we become good news as well as good news bearers.